Welcome to the Story Smith Podcast. I'm your host, Faison Lay. Last episode, we took a brief look at how we can create web-like roller coaster tracks on paper through use of plot techniques, the importance of setups and payoffs, and why interconnection of plot threads are important. Today, we'll take a brief look at what happens when you combine character and plot to craft a great story. Why do people around the world spend billions of dollars making and consuming stories? Why do we enjoy them? How can we use what others enjoy to improve our stories? These are some of the questions we will be looking at today. To start, let's talk about philosophy, the mother of science. To understand anything well, you must understand its philosophy first. Its fundamental axioms upon which the art, science, or belief is predicated. First, we must answer what philosophy is. If we were to ask a random person from the entire world that question, what is philosophy, that person is nearly guaranteed to know what it is. But ask them to define it, however, and they are most likely going to have no idea what its articulated definition is. Simply put, philosophy is the study of the fundamentals of science, art, knowledge, and existence. It is far, far more than paradoxical mumbo-jumbo, and learning the axiomatic laws and principles of any discipline is necessary to engage in said discipline properly. So, let's take a look at our first philosophy or principle then. Principle 1. Escape the world. All good stories provide an escape for the audience. They help people unwind, help them laugh, help them cry, help them smile. They help people find a piece of themselves. And I mean this quite literally, not in some mystic, airy-fairy way. Stories have the ability to change people's lives, but they have a subtler, more widespread purpose. To get away from real life, That is your first and foremost goal as a storyteller. If your audience watches your movie, reads your book, or plays your narratively constructed game while being in the real world, the chances of them falling in love with the beautiful mistress, or hating the contemptible assassin, or cheering for the courageous commander, or crying for the death of the mentor, is practically zero. You can put whatever you want in a story, but if it doesn't help your audience escape the real world, the effect it has will be negligible, if existent at all. How does story do this from a neuroendocrinological viewpoint? There are many techniques that storytellers employ to appeal to the human mind. For example, good suspense in a story releases the hormone dopamine. A character that instills empathy and sadness releases the hormone oxytocin. And a character who makes people laugh releases endorphins. These are all positive emotion inducers that leave people feeling happy, awed, nostalgic, motivated, even courageous. David J.P. Phillips, the founder of Sweden's largest presentation skills training company, an international speaker and author and coach, discussed the emotional effects that stories have on people in a TED Talk back in 2017. The ending of his talk was the part that I found to be the most interesting. People consume stories that instill these positive emotions because it makes them feel more human, more motivated, more ready, more relaxed. Modern life does the complete opposite. 
It causes anxiety, stress, depression, anger, frustration, and more. By engaging with stories and the characters in them, people get away from these things, even if it is just for a few hours. In short, stories make life that much more bearable, that much more exciting. By escaping the real world, people's imaginations are set free. They can exist in a world where people can fly, where man inhabits multiple planets across the galaxy, where unbearable pain can be endured, and where people get up despite the most adverse circumstances. And by escaping, they often unknowingly begin to imitate what they see. Not in a video games cause violence kind of way, in a way that is beneficial to them. Most stories don't move people to imitate the characters within them simply because most stories aren't great. Principle 2. Stories imitate people. We've touched on the idea of knowing yourself and others as being important to write good stories, but we have yet to talk about why. This is the third principle of storytelling. Understand people. Because without that understanding, knowing what your characters do and understanding why they do those things will be unnecessarily difficult. As will be understanding how and why they change. Change in particular is important. A character who has no change is rarely interesting and will never be seen as interesting as a character who does change. Provided, of course, that they are equally well executed. We write characters who change because we are painfully aware of how real people change. Opinions, views, feelings, personality, all these things are never constant, in a healthy person at least. We all change, and have our own real-life character arcs. Think of how you have changed in the past 10 years. Think of someone you know who changed in the past 10 years, for better or for worse. Now let us consider something else from the real world that we use in storytelling. Conversations. No, I don't mean dialogue. Hyper-realistic dialogue is almost never a good idea. More on that in the dialogue episode to come. I mean conversation itself. Every person has a fascinating, most likely tragic story of how they wound up how they are in the moment you speak to them. Both you and the person you speak to have been through lots in your life that the other person is unaware of. Things that will alter the conversation and alter the way they and you view the world. Even if you love that person, you wouldn't share every single detail of your life with them. Because no one cares. When you talk to someone who tells you every little detail about something, you immediately assume they're either lonely or have very little knowledge about social interactions. You think to yourself, Wow, this person can go on. My word, this conversation is boring. How does this person even have friends? Why am I here? Oh, I wish I was watching paint dry instead of speaking to this person, etc. Just like I did there. Too many examples, too much detail. When we speak to people, we want condensed stories of their lives, not long, drawn-out narratives that lose us within the first few minutes. The people who can give good stories about their lives are those whom we are drawn to in conversation, and they are the ones whose life stories are represented in our minds as a great narrative, a great story. The same goes for stories. 
When creating stories, we want to condense as much information as we possibly can into as few words or scenes. We also watch people and then extract the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then we blend them in a bowl and place them in an arena with themselves. This is how ideal characters come about. We take all the good, the heroic, the admirable qualities of people and create a good character. Then we must add flaws to give them something to fight. And then we give them an antagonist. Because people in the real world have antagonists. Whether it's an actual enemy or rival, a group who differs from us, a rival corporation or company, a family member, we all have antagonists in our lives. But as the conversation does not become bogged down with every little detail, so our story should not become bogged down with the unnecessary. If you can remove a part of your story without impacting the rest of it, remove it. Or make it have an impact on the rest of the story. How do we measure this criteria? In short, if something does not affect the plot, character's theme or narrative, cut it out. It becomes an unnecessary detail in the conversation, and it will lead to boredom and frustration, a yearning to return to the parts that matter. While we won't go into details here and now, there are some examples I can give. A child observes their parent doing something they deem valuable or desirable. What does the child do? A healthy child between the ages of two and eight in particular will imitate a parent, sibling, or playmate in an attempt to create a state of being for itself that it perceives to be better than its current state without even realizing it's doing it. Now the child grows older. What does it imitate? Well, let a pair of young boys watch Star Wars and see how long it takes them to pick up a pair of sticks and start dueling it out later that day. Let them watch Kung Fu Panda, and the chances of them turning into dragon warriors and Tai Lungs is almost guaranteed. Now the child becomes a teenager. What does the teen imitate? The teen becomes an adult. What do adults imitate? Each other, yes. That is why we have all experienced peer pressure. But there is a reason behind people's obsession with story. Good stories give you a form of escapism. But great stories give you something to strive towards or away from. Stories can provide exemplary or plain evil standards of the human condition. The first causes us to want to imitate them. The latter, if we have any sense, repulses us in a healthy manner and makes us want to avoid such a course of action. This is why films that glorify violence or incorporate unnecessary action scenes hardly ever get good responses. For as important as escapism is, there is a limit to what can be incorporated in a story, as we spoke about in the last episode on plots and world types. If you put something in your story, ask yourself, how is this going to impact my viewers? Is this a warning example or something for them to imitate? How much meaning does this have? As in, will this change the way someone views this particular topic or problem? One major thing to ensure about your story is that you are not incorporating your own political or ideological views in it. Remember, you are helping your audience escape from the real world, not be lectured about it. Giving your story meaning does not mean it must be political. Share your worldview, not those of others.
Think about how you feel about things, how you view them, and write them down. If you have personal experience with a real-world issue, for example, don't write a story that lectures people on how they must be better to overcome such problems or help others with their problems. Rather, create a story that will appeal to those who have been through something similar. Create a story that will help them through the hard times that you have already been through. We all have unique insight into certain topics. Use your own insight to create stories that are meaningful, not the ideologies and the politics you support. Art unites, politics divide. If you are so inclined to incorporate a battle of ideas in your story, so be it. There is nothing wrong with putting ideas head to head in a story. If you do this, though, remember to never strawman that argument that you find yourself leaning away from. Create Iron Man-like arguments for both sides, so much so that your readers won't be able to tell which side you support. Only then can the battle of real-world ideas be incorporated into stories successfully. This is something that the Russian author Fyodor Dostoevsky was marvelous at achieving. Aside from his astoundingly psychologically realistic characters, Dostoevsky was able to put two morals, two ideas, two people against each other in an argument in his stories without ever overtly revealing which side he personally supported. He did this by making both sides of the argument impressively compelling. However, even if you do manage to do this, be careful not to become bogged down in conflict between ideas and ideals. Keep the conflict between the characters. Keep your audience lost in the world you have created. Use symbolism instead of on-the-nose concepts. But remember one thing through it all. Don't incorporate your politics into your stories. Once you do, your story becomes nothing more than half-baked propaganda. Principle 4. Tell people about themselves. This principle may seem similar to the previous two. In practice and application, however, they are fundamentally different. Stories tell people things about themselves that they never knew. Or perhaps, if the story is particularly excellent, things they don't want to know about themselves. Of course, as is the case with most knowledge, time is of the essence. The older your audience is, the harder it will be to teach them something new with your story. Thus, the ideal target audience for this principle are younger people. This is why when politics and ideology do infect a story, the stories they infect are almost always aimed at younger generations. Like all power, the power of storytelling can be used for good and bad. Storytelling can be used to motivate, encourage, educate and unite. But it can also be used to break down, mislead, belittle and divide. When you tell people about themselves, however, you immediately make the story more relatable and more engaging. There's a reason why the inner demon or inner monster trope has never died. Everyone knows, whether they admit it or not, that they have a dark side. A side of themselves that only they know about. Thoughts, fantasies, desires, words that only they know of. That only you and I know about. Expose these monsters. 
either literally or symbolically, and a well-executed story incorporating this principle will almost always do well. In a world where the average man and woman are more oppressed than ever before, people are longing for tales about these inner monsters that they so desperately keep locked away, hoping that starving it will kill it, not realizing that hunger and the occasional prod and poke only makes it bite a little deeper into the dent of its cage. People are selfish. They want to hear about themselves. By telling them things that they want to hear, things like anyone can do anything, you can achieve your greatest dreams and you are special in some way, you fool them into believing such long-told lies, which will lull them into a state of continued belief that they are special without any need for change. And they will come back for more. This is why these messages and stories are often so well received and so well enjoyed. Some of the older, more optimistic tropes, however, no longer work. Things like the power of friendship, the power of love, and happily ever after are no longer satisfying tales. In a world that's colder and more divided than ever before, people don't want to hear of all the things that they are missing out on. Love, family, friends. People, especially the younger generations, are lonelier than ever. Do not remind them of this. Rather, promote ideas that they want to hear, that they don't need anyone else, they can make it on their own, and that love is inseparable from pain. Unfortunately, those are the only two ways of telling a story. You either tell the truth subtly, without exposing the audience so much that they turn on you, or you can simply lie to them. The truth, as it always is, is the harder of the two options, However, as is always the case, it is far, far more powerful when well done. How can what isn't be more powerful than what is? The only problem is that people don't want to hear the truth anymore. So choose wisely. You can have the more powerful, yet more difficult truth, or you can have the weaker, yet easier lie. Principle 5. The teller can't win. No matter how good a storyteller is, they must always be ready for one of two things. One, in the face of failure, continued failure to the point of quitting. And two, in the face of success, endless, often arbitrary criticism. Not all writers succeed. In fact, most fail, regardless of the medium they choose. It is said that only 3% of people who start writing a novel ever finish it. And of the 3% who do, an even smaller percentage are successfully published. However, do not let those odds beat you out of trying. Even failure has its successes. If you write, then, you must write for yourself. If you write for yourself, failure won't stop you, and neither will criticism or fear of being criticized. There are so many people out there who have finished writing a book or a screenplay or a comic but refuse to show to anyone or submit it to an agent for consideration because they are simply terrified of criticism. If you are one of those people, I can only say good luck. Because people will criticize you for everything you do. They'll criticize when you do it, the reasons you do it, and how you do it. If criticism scares you to the point of paralyzation, you will never be able to move. Put yourself out there. Put aside your fear and face the mob. 
That is when you can say you are a writer. When you put yourself out there for criticism and take it the way other people take food, to consume it and use it to build yourself up. This goes for all art, and really all things in life. People will criticize you. Most of it will be uncalled for, illogical, perhaps even both. But there will always be some that is true, some that is genuine, some that is perhaps both. It is the latter that you must take away and learn from. Not seeking to eradicate your mistakes entirely, but using it to simply improve. Do better. Try harder. Not to crumble like a house of cards in a hurricane. We've taken a brief look this episode at the philosophies and axioms of storytelling that we must all keep in mind. Of course, these are just five core principles. Perhaps there are others you can think of. In the next episode, we will talk about my personal favorite storytelling technique. Foreshadowing. Different types of foreshadowing. How we can use it and how not to use it. I want to thank you for choosing to spend some of your time with me here today learning about our mutual love that is art and how we can all improve our work and our lives on a daily basis, bit by bit. I'm Faison Lay, this is the Storysmith Podcast, and until next time, keep forging the art that you love.